right, welcome into episode number 87 of the Natural Hattrick Podcast, the Donald Brashear episode. Is that where we're going wow. with number 87? That's, that's incredible restraint on you. Is it? Yeah, I can't think of another 80, a relevant number 87 that's being worn in the National Hockey League yeah. today, or else we would have gone. Relevant today. No. no. Not that's not currently correct. playing or anything. All right. So uh, alongside Craig Morgan and Jamie Eisner, I'm Luke Lipinski. I guess we could call it the Sidney Crosby episode just because they're in the Stanley Cup right now. I think it's big. That's Sorry, Donald. Who? Yeah. Uh, you, you'll just stay on the Internet. You'll eventually learn about him. Uh, one game in the books from the Stanley Cup last night. Monday night, very odd game. I don't, I don't remember ever watching certainly a Stanley Cup game like that. I don't think a playoff game, and I'm sure there have been regular season games where a team has 12 shots on goal and scores five times, but I don't remember them. And wins. Yeah, I... Hasn't happened in the Cup final. Yeah. No. I, I know the Penguins are up one nothing, <laughs> but I'm not even slightly encouraged by the way they performed. Here's the thing, though. Pittsburgh has been outshot in 14 of 20 postseason games. They're 8-6 and six in those games. 8-6 and six in those games. And if you look at the disparity in shots in a lot of those games, it's not close. It's never been like it was in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup, though. I mean, no, agreed. No, that, that was, was what you was don't it? Go thirty-seven yeah. plus minutes without a shot. That's and the two, the shot before and the shot after are both goals. Yep, and, and five goals on twelve shots. And one of the one twelve of was an empty netter, granted, but five still, goals on four and shots. One of the twelve shots was later credited as a shot because mm-hmm. they had eight in the first. They had seven in the first period, and then at some point they had eight in the first period. It was the first time a team has gone a full period in a Stanley Cup game without a shot on goal. Do you guys know this stat? In sixty years. They almost went two consecutive periods without a shot on goal. And then Jake Gensel scored. And then Jake Gensel scores. It was a beautiful shot. shot. Why were people saying that was a soft goal on Peck Arena? That was a nice goal. It was a terrific shot. I think people think any goal that's not either tipped in or from a superstar player is a soft goal. We see that all the time. This was a soft goal. No. That's a wrist shot. from. soft goal was the Malkin goal. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. The the Gensel goal and the Sheary goal on just the ridiculous pass from Chris Kunitz – there's nothing Pecorine can do about those, and there's nothing he can do about the empty netter. Now, he faced 11 shots and he gave up five goals, so that's, I don't think, concerning necessarily, but it's just odd. It's still not a great night. It's not a great no, night. No matter what the quality of the shots were. No. He did say we, he thought we played a great game. I thought we played a great game. Were you, are you including yourself in that assessment? I, I thought they played a great game. I thought my teammates played a great game? I mean, I, well, so where is it, 4 of 11? Like, that's barely an above-average shootout percentage. Yeah. Yeah, that's, for a goaltender. <laughs> the way that game great. unfolded, too, with the, the disallowed goal, which, by the way, I know a lot of people were saying that was inconclusive. If you waited for NBC to finally do the zoom-in shot, which they did, I think, the next day, they finally showed you the close <laughs> They're doing it right now. His skate was off the ice. It was yeah, off the yeah. ice. So they made the right call. Again, though, and by the way, did I mention this? Kerry Frazier, former NHL referee, is now touting my break the plane rule. Just saying. Did he cite you? I would hope. No, he didn't. He just took credit. It was just yeah. implied, probably, because everybody's... Maybe that's it. Just yeah, connects that rule. Knows yeah. that we set the agenda for the NHL, so... I, I will say this. When they were reviewing it, I mean, there's a certain sense where if... Like, you remember Game 7 against Ottawa. Mark Stone was almost offside on mm-hmm. Ottawa's goal that tied it. And you're looking at that, and you're like, man, I, I would almost challenge it even if it's not right, just because it's such a big goal. And, and Mike Sullivan did not challenge it. So... At least in my mind, when he challenged it last night, I was thinking they must have an angle where this is pretty conclusive for him to do this this early in the game. But they kept showing the replay to the viewers and saying, you know, 
This is what you're looking for if you're not a hockey fan. You're looking to see if his skate is up before the puck is in. They kept showing the arrows, but they never actually showed the. They kept stopping it before. I noticed that too. And it's like the most maddening thing ever. And you say, "Stop it right here, boys!" I'm like, "No, don't stop it there. The puck's still on the blue line." Or if you're gonna stop it, start it back up so we can see. Like this, hypothetically, this is what you would see. And then I was waiting for just like a drawing by Pierre. Or just hey, just tell us what you saw. Yeah. This is what they're looking at. Maybe nobody wants to do that anymore because they have no idea what the call's going to be. Yeah. It's not quite as bad as goaltender interference, but nobody wants to go out on a limb because they could be wrong. No, and NBC didn't help matters by again not showing the close-up replay. They have what that NBC it that they you have the technology. Just they finally did. Do it. It takes so long to get to that to zero in with the big circle. Look, his skates I mean, the it's, ice. it's a busy night for NBC. They're doing other things. They're letting Peter Laviolette drop F-bombs in the pregame speech. So it's, Maybe they were short-staffed on Monday or something. Maybe they were a little just, you know, off their game after the F-bomb. Yeah, they're speech, just a little flustered. Yeah. It would be frustrating as a Predators fan. That game, I'm sure a thousand different ways was frustrating because they absolutely outplayed Pittsburgh, but specifically to have that first goal disallowed and and to never get the actual conclusive view until well after the play was officially disallowed. That would be frustrating. Now, I'm with you. I think they got it right, but it was very close. Yeah, and it, the, the crazy momentum shifts after that because then you then you have, you have Patrick Hornquist. Uh, what would you call that penalty? I, I don't know if there's Cal- a term that's Cal- going to Cal- Cal- Yeah, well, he didn't even touch him, okay, until after he just tripped. He tripped on his own, went yes. down, and then there was contact afterwards. So that wasn't a penalty. So they just missed that one. But then James Neal was hell-bent on getting himself. He missed once. He missed twice. He continued to chase I, Trevor Daly down until he could cross-check him to the ice. He didn't quite break his stick over him. Or he might have earned a one-game suspension. Or maybe not in today's league. Yeah, who knows? But that was just a dumb play. And you want to talk about ensuring that the momentum is going to shift. Let's give the Penguins a five-on-three. A, a two-minute five-on-three. And even then, I think they only had one shot. It just happened to go in. I, I mean, everybody looks at that 37-minute span in the middle of the game and like, the Penguins stopped getting shots. They weren't getting shots early in that game either. Yeah. I mean, that was something that, as a viewer, I was already paying attention to five minutes in. Like, hey, Pittsburgh's not shooting the puck at the other team's net. But to your point, with the two... Bold strategy. <laughs> it really lulled them to sleep. Yeah. I guess it worked. The two penalties back-to-back like that... I think if they had occurred in opposite order, it wouldn't have been a five-on-three. Because you're right, the first one was, I, I don't think that was a penalty. Nope. But the second one was so blatant, and they had already called the first one. Then are you supposed to let the second one pass? It's just, it, was, it was just a weird game top to bottom. It, it felt like Nashville felt like they were winning even when they were down 3 nothing, And then it gets the 3-3, and they instantly give up the go-ahead goal. Everything outside of the blue paint around Pecorine, Nashville was by far the better team. But they didn't win, and ultimately, that's what matters. And ultimately, they're still down one nothing, despite how many shots they had and how well they played. They're now in a hole. And here's the, there's this assumption that, well, look, Nashville played so well, they dominated play. I mean, they have to feel good about themselves. Doesn't mean it's going to happen in game two. This, this is the Penguins we're talking about, first of all. Yeah. They won a cup. Also, for they the got Pit- this way. They, they got through Columbus and Washington, okay? And from Pittsburgh's perspective, their what their their cliche that they're going to sp- spit out, and they have already, is right. we won without playing our best game. Now, what happens when we get things together? Yeah. They uh, might not, and they might yeah. have the game too. They might, <laughs> it they might, might not just, matter. Like, they might not until they have to. It might not matter. But that's the thing about the Penguins is I feel like when when they get pressed, when they get pushed, they're still able to elevate. And what what do we make of this ridiculous shooting percentage? Well, it's not ridiculous, but it, it's a really good shooting percentage so far in the postseason. I mean, they've, as I mentioned, they've been outshot in 14 of 20 games, 
but they're shooting almost 11% as a team, which That's would have led the regular season by a wide margin. Yeah. Is that just a, an anomaly? Have they dialed it up a notch for the playoffs? Is it the fact that they have these elite players that can finish? I think those are factors, too. I really do. And, I mean, it, and it's counter to the narrative that we normally hear about the way postseason hockey is, quote-unquote, supposed to be played. That it's supposed to be a more defensive game, a more tight-checking game. Every chance means more. Well, for Pittsburgh, they're finding ways to score pretty much at will. They score more goals than anybody in the postseason. And, and we, we could talk about Rene not having his best game. They, there, is, there might not be a better defensive core in the National Hockey League than when Nashville ices every single game. No. So it's not like these are just, oh, they're just skating through a, a bad team and scoring. This is no, a, Matthias Ekholm's trash now. Oh, yeah. yeah it's, a quickly how, it's amazing how quickly that changed. But he's not garbage. We'll get to that later on in the show, okay. right? Only one of their defensemen is apparently garbage. Yes. Uh, eight, so Pittsburgh 8-6 eight and six when, they, when they get outshot in a game in these playoffs and 5-1 and one when they actually outshoot somebody. It's never been as drastic as it was last night, but there were certainly stretches – against Columbus in particular, where it just seemed like Columbus mm-hmm. was the one shooting over, and then Pittsburgh won that series in five games. So It scored a lot. It scored a lot. And I think, and that's against a really good goalie. I mean, they've, they've faced Sergei Bobrovsky, they've faced Braden Holtby, Craig Anderson played them better than anybody so far, and now they're facing Pecorine, who's been arguably the best goalie in these playoffs. He's, well, at least has, has the best stats. I, again, I would argue that Pecorine hasn't been tested nearly as much as people think. Yeah. But... It, I, I think there is something to the notion that they probably are taking higher percentage shots, but not last night. No. That's so extreme last night. But for Pittsburgh in general, their team just has a higher quantity of high-end offensive players than pretty much any team that they face this postseason. And that's where that matters. And, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, possession versus uh, good shots versus where you shoot it. This is where talent comes in. This, this This is the talent aspect of the advanced stats. A uh, uh, shot attempt by Sidney Crosby from anywhere on the ice is a better shot attempt than any other player from that exact same spot. And that's when you have those kind of talented players where you can not buck the trend, but quality shots, it matters where you are location-wise. But it also matters who's taking the shot yeah. and what the skill level of the player is, and that's what the variance is. Sometimes, Yes, you would rather have a, a higher quantity of shots, but let's say the Colorado Avalanche having 30 shots versus the Penguins having 15 – I might take my chances on 15 Penguin shots than 30 Colorado shots Certainly just because right of the, the talent <laughs> just because of the talent level there. And yeah. Remember Eddie's, Eddie Olchek's quote to us? Or was in one of my stories, but I can't even remember now. We but, had him on. He hasn't been a guest of the by, show. By yet, quote to us, do you mean quote directly been, to you? He yeah. hasn't been a guest of the show. No, yet. he's, he's been, been a frequent. Uh, he's a contributor, I feel like, without he, even realizing. I feel like he's a contributor. But he, he's, as, as, he, as Jamie was saying, it's those guys that only need two chances in a game to score a goal versus five chances in a game. And and sometimes I do think guys are a little more dialed in this time of year. Pittsburgh, I just don't think this team is losing the cup final. I think they are going to find a way to repeat. And and if Ryan Johansson were playing, this might be a little bit different. That's, that's a big blow to Nashville, and let's not underplay that. They lost their top center. That's huge. That has a yeah, massive impact. Huge number I think one the center. Penguins have had a long, lot longer time to adapt to the loss of Chris Letang on their back end. If he were playing, this might be a different story, but I just don't see the Penguins losing this series. I will say this just to the point that Jamie and I tried to make it the start of the playoffs, and now we look silly. But you just rattled off. The Penguins have played 20 games. They've been outshot 14 of them, some of them drastically. If they had Chris Letang, that's where you notice. He doesn't. Yeah. They're not going to get outshot nearly as much because he's triggering plays up the ice. And they just mm-hmm. don't have another guy that can do that. And I give their defense a ton of credit, even though there's times where – 
Ole Mata looks overwhelmed, and Ian Cole looks like he's playing his first organized hockey. They're finding a way to get it done, and and maybe more so with collective team defense and, and clearing out rebounds in front of whatever goalie is in net on that given night. But not having Latang is showing up in that way. But Pittsburgh has been playing without Latang now for two months, and Nashville's been playing without Ryan Johansson for basically a week. But but like to your point. Yes, the end result has the Penguins continuing to win, but the process is where, like you said, we're seeing the loss of where why that blue line is struggling so much. I mean, and let's think about what if Latang would have played? How much more dominant of a team would they have been? If, if the Penguins had been remotely healthy in this postseason, we could have watched something epic. They could have stormed yeah. through this postseason. What happens now? Because there's 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 two very different ways to look at this, and I, and I don't know which way to look at it. On the one hand, I could I could see that game last night, and I could say, well, if Pittsburgh plays four more games like that, they will lose this series in five games. Like that'll just be it. But I don't think they'll play one more game like that. I would I hope we'll see that again. That yeah. was I think they got away with one, and we're not going to see that again. Well, but, that's the flip side. They really got away with one. So if you're Nashville, there's got to be some frustration of, in a way, to win the series, you kind of have to beat Pittsburgh five times. Because you kind of beat them, you outplayed them last night. If you're well, and and to your point earlier, the way that Pittsburgh's been able to score, is particularly with their lack of shots, is such a demoralizing way to play. You, the other team is pounding the net, pounding the net, pounding the net. You come down the ice and score. Then they pound the net for 37 more minutes. Then you come down the ice and score. It's not even an exaggeration when he says that. I mean, that's just 37 it, minutes. It's just completely demoralizing. It's even. It, it's not even just the two goals. Just the way it happens. Are you? You're absolutely dominating the game. And yet you still can't get your head above water. But but if you're Nashville, you have to take away that we were, we, at least in their locker room, they have to say we were the better team in game one. If we play like that more often, we will be okay. That's what they have to tell themselves. There were so many years between that, that first cup with this group of Penguins and then the cup last year where Pittsburgh was sort of the opposite. Like I remember the 2013 conference final against Boston where they were just peppering Tuka Rask with shot after shot. And what did they score? Like two goals in that entire series. I mean, they, they for the longest time, were the team that even if the shots were perfect, they were up in their own head so much that they just they couldn't score. I mean, even the year after they won the, uh, the first cup and they ended up facing Yaroslav Halak in Montreal in the second round, and, and that's kind of where it started of just, we've got all this firepower, we're getting all these shots, the puck's not going in, we panic, what do we do? Now it just seems like, like Nashville really seemed confident and in control most of that game last night, but when, when they tied it, Pittsburgh didn't seem rattled at all. It seemed like they just expected to go down. We just need one shot. Okay, now we're done. It, it, that's where the experience comes in. That's where the confidence is. We have the, the best player in the world mm-hmm. and the player that's probably going to win the con Smythe. But it's good experience, right? I mean, because yes. if you have playoff experience where you're getting shut down in the conference final, then it works against you. Oh, absolutely. And then you get the, the Capitals effect. But again, the conference of play, we've been there before, and last year. Not like, oh, we were there seven years ago. We were there last year. And again, we have the best player in the world. And Evgeny Malkin, who is going, looks like he's going to win the Conn Smythe, is playing out of his mind right now. They have so many high-end players that, again, they're, it, you never feel like you're out of a game. They don't, again, they're not having to work all that hard to get a goal. No, it's, it's very, very strange. And especially to see them outplay Ottawa so much in Game 7. We haven't even talked about that game, but it's happened since the last time we did the show. They pretty well outplayed Ottawa for most of that game, and yet it goes double overtime. And at that point, double overtime in a Game 7, it's basically a coin toss. Yep. I mean, Pittsburgh was doing to Ottawa what Nashville did to Pittsburgh in Game yep. 1. And at that point, you're in overtime. It's like, oh, well, one Kyle Turris won faceoff, and all of a sudden, Eric Carlson puts it in the back of the net, and it's all over. Yeah. One fluky bounce, one misplay, one hits off a defenseman's skate. 
It's all over. Chris Kunitz scoring for the first time in like three months yeah. and scoring twice. Can we talk about Ottawa for a moment now that they're gone? Aside from the fact that we're all happy that they're not playing for the Cup final because we're not sure we would have even watched. Well, there wasn't much else. They strike me night. as the type of team that is going to look at this. I, to me, this conference final run for the Ottawa Senators is fool's gold. Uh, they're not getting back here. They're not this good. This was an epic run that will go down. It's going to feel a lot like that 2012 Coyotes run to the Western Conference Final. They're not getting back yeah. here because they're not that good a team. Eric Carlson is in another universe than just about anybody on the ice now, probably than any other defenseman now. But aside from that, he's got a bunch of role players around him. They're not this good. I don't see this happening again. As we talked about on the show, the competition around them is getting better. That, yeah. that easy little run they had through the bracket early is not going to be there anymore. That's true. I mean, let's, let's, say, let's just assume that they finish third in the Atlantic next year, which I don't think is a, a given one way or the other. I mean, they Toronto, can miss Tampa the playoffs. Bay, Ottawa, okay. But let's Possibly. just let's sure. just say they're Possibly. there. Then their first two rounds are Tampa Bay and or Toronto in some order, and then you know Pittsburgh, Washington, whoever comes out of the uh, the Metro. That's a much different path than what they took this Absolutely. year. Absolutely. Again, and at some point, systems can help you a lot, but at some point, talent still wins out in the end. And what Guy Boucher in Tampa was there for his first year in Tampa was sort of similar to this, wasn't it? And then he was gone within two years after that. So I, I don't know what the shelf life is. He didn't have Eric Carlson in Tampa. No. Uh, that's a great piece to have. I, But they don't have enough other pieces. And you're not really so, in a position to draft them because you're picking at the end of the draft. Yeah. It's a tiny market. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, they're never going to be a cap team. I'm just not inspired by the rest of that team. Mm-hmm. Where do you think they rank next year in terms of Canadian teams? Because I mean, who the best ones are, right? just like the By last one standing or whatever. You have to be careful with Toronto. And it, look, I, I think Toronto's talent level is probably better than Calgary's. Although you can look at Calgary's blue line and say there's a whole lot of talent there. You know, that Calgary had that run where they went farther than people thought they were, and then yeah. everybody expected, you know, maybe not internally but externally, people expected Calgary to move move on even further the following year, and they took a step back. It wouldn't shock me if Toronto took a step back. Well, I don't, I don't know what that is. That would mean missing the playoffs. I can't see that happening. But yeah, I don't think if Toronto got bounced in the first round again next year, would I be surprised? No, they're still really young. They might still be a wild card. They might play Washington again. Or yeah, Pittsburgh. I very much think they are a playoff team, but I think they might have a very similar season points-wise that yeah. they had this year. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. No. Not taking a step back in year two, as we have seen with teams like Calgary, with teams like Colorado, um, with, Colorado's you know, still taking a step back. Yeah, I mean, not ta- just simply not taking that step back in year two of when you're starting to become a playoff contender is an accomplishment in and of itself. Can we talk about the fact that Austin Matthews is just working out down the street at the uh, the ice rink here in town? They, every all, I'm sure all of his other teammates in Toronto are either hanging out in Toronto where it's nice and cool, or they're all going to their cabins in northern Canada or wherever for the summer. Northern Canada, Arizona, we expect. NHL players to be working out here all over the place. And no. it's How does Walk that down the street? You gotta avoid them. How does that conversation go with Mitch Marner when he's like, "Yeah, I'm going to my cabin up in wherever," and Austin Matthews is like, "I'm going to Scottsdale because it's 110 degrees." Uh, but I think Toronto will be fine. And yeah, I think that division is the balance of power is shifting around Ottawa, like Jamie said. Yeah, and I think to, to the Austin Matthews point, and I was listening, we were, I was listening to Gary Bettman's uh, state of the NHL, whatever you want to call it, press conference, and. Uh, I do want to talk about yeah. it. Yeah, when you cut through the just the monotonous lack of personality that, that, that comes off in that setting, uh, 
because I thought Gary Bittman had some very, very good points about when he was doing the very introductory part where you get he's reading off of a, essentially a script that he's memorized, so it always comes across as you're reading off a script that you memorized. But talking about the young players, talking about the different markets that have ascended uh, from the bottom to the top, talking about how close all the playoff games were, the percentage of time playoff games were within one goal, a not-so-indirect shot at the NBA playoffs. <laughs> that Are those still was, going, by the way? That was, I thought... They're just starting, actually. No, not yet. Still three more days. Yeah, yeah still, still six more days. I thought, I thought those were really good points. You talked about Austin Matthews. You talked about how, how many of the game's best players are in their 20s. You yeah. talked about, I mean, so I, I thought, I, I know everybody makes fun of Bettman for, for, or blames him for everything that goes wrong in, in the world of hockey. But I thought that that was a very, when you cut through all that stuff, I thought it was a very interesting point. And I think, again, it goes back to how can the NHL market itself better? And stop saying, well, we're going to market our teams and not our players because it doesn't work. Well, it's, it just doesn't work in, in this, in the way that we consume sports now. Again, you can have your core base. Your core base will buy you selling teams. Oh, yeah. The outside world buys talent. They it's buy sad, stars. It's way because ideally in a team sport, that's, that's the honorable thing to do is to sell the team and to, to focus on team first. But in this country in particular, we tend uh-huh. to focus on individuals and individual and, glory and yeah. Right, that's the way to market. And I'm going to go way off the rails here for a second. Oh, nice, so you, nice. You, you guys are going to get this. Jamie but doesn't even usually say it. For the, for and when he says you guys aren't going to get it, he means the listeners. Go ahead. Well, no, because I'm going to make it because I, I know I make cross sport references. This is okay. going to be a pro wrestling reference. And here. us. Okay. Nobody's going right, to get it. So nobody's going to get this except for the, there is a lot of NHL, I guess, the NHL writers in wrestling crossover. My, my, Chris Jericho will my, get it because right. I like talking oh, to. My world wrestling knowledge doesn't extend past yeah. the super fly. So. That's so. <laughs> a while, while ago. Maybe he's in this. The NHL, I call them the ring of honor of. The pro sports. It's an, Ring of Honor is an independent organization that's all about the in-ring, the athleticism. It's all about the in-ring products. It's not about the, necessarily the individuals. It's about we're going to put on the best show possible. Okay. Their, own, their ceiling is lower than the WWE's, which is all about showmanship and creating big stars. I'm going to create the Hulk Hogan's, the Steve Austin's, the Rock's. That's what the NHL needs to do because that's what the NBA has done yep. successfully. And that is what the NFL has done successfully. You're not going to be able to do it at the same scale as those teams because your fan base isn't as big. But as you're growing, you need to be able to market your stars. One of, the, one of our writers who's just starting to kind of watch hockey a little bit, very, very casual, I was telling him about – we were talking about promotion. He says, I didn't even know Crosby and Ovechkin played each other this postseason. Yeah. That's a problem. Yeah. And they actively fight against – making those natural rivalries, those natural stars, like why Crosby, Malkin, Ovechkin, those guys aren't household names. I mean, yes, hockey players wear helmets, but their faces are exposed. This is not the NFL, where every, every part of them is covered. They, no, they, they can be NFL more personal. Are, so that excuse only goes so far. Yeah. So now that I've, we're down to one listener that got my point, but that's, that's the I point I'm trying to make. I actually, and I think it's, it's a great point that we've sort of touched on on the show in the past, but... I'm sure you guys have friends like this as well that are really big sports fans, but hockey isn't their first sport. And so you get to this point in the year, and this conversation, I have this conversation with, with friends of mine every year, just trying to figure it out. And I'm not trying to take a shot at the NBA, but these playoffs have been the worst NBA, not, not the worst NBA playoffs, the worst playoffs I've ever seen in the history of sports. But I, will ha- I have friends that will sit there, and I can't match up the exact games, but whatever. Some NHL game six with a team's elimination on the line will be in overtime, and they will be watching 
Cleveland hammer up twenty five on yeah, Washington. That's the thing. Not, not a team that made it to the finals even broke a sweat to get here. No, and you just we all knew that was going to happen. Uh-huh. We, but, we knew that before the season started. Yes, we said it. <laughs> but you'll sit there mindlessly watching it because it's sports and you want to oh, watch sports. It's great drama. Where? Well, but see, I don't it's even trash. think it's horrible. I think that's manufactured at this point. I don't think a lot of NBA fans are happy with these playoffs. They're going to be happy with the finals because it's clearly the two best teams. That's quite obvious. But that's where the NHL has to step in. And to Jamie's point, you need to market individuals because more people would be watching whatever, but just pick a series. They would be tuning into that if they knew any of the players. I can't tell you how many people have told me this, but instead, they know who John Wall is, so they'll watch the Wizards and Raptors. People identify with other people. They want to identify with their stories, whether they love them, whether they hate them, they want to see them lose, see them win. And, you know, we hear all the time about, even from non-hockey fans, of how much they like to watch a Stanley Cup playoffs. Yes. And now it's the most exciting of all the playoffs. Everybody says that. But the thing is, is repeatedly, yeah, yeah. But the problem is, is how do you make that transition for them to actually care? Because as you see, it's not just having exciting games is not going to get it done. No, it's not that just saying, hey, we have we have exciting games doesn't draw people in. It should, but it doesn't. And we don't live in a world where well, it should. They have to market stars. They have to get somebody that's relatable. Someone has to look up and say, that's where I want to follow this guy. What, what did Steven Stamkos do tonight? What did Jonathan Taves do tonight? I need to know. Everyone wants to know playoffs. what Russell Westbrook does every night okay. or James Harden Sorry. does every night. Whether it, it, they, James Harden and the, the Rockets could be playing Charlotte. Yeah. But, no, I'm going to tune in because I want to see if Harden scores 40 tonight that's or if Russell NBA, Westbrook gets a triple-double. But the, that's who, what the who, NBA who, does so well yeah. because – you're not only watching James Harden and saying, oh, he's got 40 points. You're not watching Russell Westbrook and saying he's got a triple-double. You're, you're watching West, Russell Westbrook with it in your mind that he had 42 of these this year. Kevin Durant left him last year, hung him out to dry. You know Russell Westbrook's story for years and years. You, your casual NFL, NBA fan or whatever that turns on a hockey game doesn't know Ryan Johansson's story. But the, to be fair, to play devil's advocate, you're, you can watch Harden dump in 40 points. You can be productive from a statistical standpoint yeah. in, in the NBA. Sidney Crosby may have one assist in a game. That, that's so true. you're selling that, and, you're, and people are like, oh, okay, oh, he had five shots. Yeah. So and and that is a challenge. Harder, right? But that's a challenge. But my, my thought is is how maybe this, this is a different argument because it's going to baseball and how that sport, its popularity is dying. But how can you start to equate goals to the same sex appeal that a home run has? The frequency is very similar. It is. So how, how do you create that? And, and you know, I, I hear all the time, well, I can't see the puck on TV. If you're a baseball fan and you're saying you can't see the puck on TV, yeah. you're just lying. Or if you're watching golf, come on. Yeah, like you, you're lying. But the point is, is you got to have somebody that gets them in because if, if the NHL is confident that their product that they actually put out there is good, and once they get, once people watch, they might get hooked or might like it or come back. You still need that entryway. You still need that door for them to go through, and they're just terrible at opening those doors for new fans. Also, and, all, and I follow a bunch of different fan bases. There is no fan base as bad with welcoming new fans as NHL fans. Maybe soccer. Soccer might be the other one. But no, you're 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 right, and and that, that shouldn't fall. The responsibility shouldn't fall on the fans. No, but it falls I, on the league. There's there's definitely a page to be taken from the NBA where people are watching the games. The games have meant nothing for the last nine months, but people are watching because whether there's it's not even drama off the court. It's just you know you feel like you know these guys off the court. You know their whole story, and then even if. Even if Harden goes out there and he has a terrible game and he scores 10 points, which is basically the, the basketball equivalent to not doing anything in a hockey game, 
you know his story up to that point. That's the next chapter. Whereas if you turn on a hockey game, even if you see you see Jake Edsel score last night, if you if this is your first hockey game you've watched all year, you don't even know who he is. So it matters for two minutes, and, and then you move on. And the NHL has a big disadvantage, and they're the only major sport that doesn't have an ESPN connection. They're, they're, they don't have that corporate... Yeah, now they literally have none since ESPN right. can't even get the scores of their game rights because they, they fired anybody that had any good journalistic uh, stories from the NHL on there. But you don't have that corporate machine promoting for you. So, and, and that was a decision they made financially when they came back with the NBC deal versus ESPN's deal. Um, and I'm not going to tell, like, I know all the details of that or be an expert because I have no, obviously, I don't know. You could know pretend, that. though. I could, but Nobody I'm not. Nobody would know. But, so they have to find better ways. And I know we've talked about this on the show as well, and, and on, on air and off the air, but even some of the stuff they do on NBC, like, if I'm a new fan, and I'm listening to the, watching those pregame shows, and Mike Milbury says anything. That doesn't help grow the fan base. Because it's hard to argue with. Because that right we now. talk about we know when Mike Milbury says something completely idiotic and he's just blowing smoke. But in a casual fan that's watching for the first, second, third, fifth time might not know. That's how they're That's how they think the game is supposed to be interpreted. I try and equate it to. I get into the World Cup of soccer every four years. Like I'm into it, but I can't watch soccer all. I just can't watch it year-round every year, partially because I don't think soccer is nearly as entertaining as hockey, but partially, you know, I, I don't know the stories. And to Jamie's point, when I watch the World Cup every four years, he's right. Their announcers or their pregame analysts or whatever have much more of an impact on my viewing experience than any hockey announcer is going to have because I already know what's going on. I mean, I still want the hockey announcers there, but it's a bigger it's, – it's just a bigger influence on me when I'm watching soccer because I just don't watch soccer that consistently. What do you want to see? Like, for instance, yesterday they did a big feature on Sidney Crosby, right? And, and when they're doing pregame warm-ups, they're, they're focused on a couple stars. They're zeroing in on a couple guys. What do you want to see beyond that? I, I would like just to see – and again, this all goes back to money and all that other stuff. But I would like to see a few different things. One, on the NBC side, a little bit more syndication network promotion. Okay. Uh, there's still more people uh, – uh, and again, that's a whole money thing – but there's still going to be a hell of a lot more eyeballs on NBC proper than on NBC Sportsnet. But I'd also like to see, and this is something, again, the league can easily do a much better job with the NHL network. They need to run that like this is your go-to place for hockey. Why there are press conferences that are going on live that aren't on NHL network are beyond me. Why they continue to show a game from 1984 when there's breaking news that they could have somebody in studio do analysis of is beyond me. And maybe it's because when they, they, they sign that deal with MLB Advanced Media and obviously MLB is going to get everything that they want out of those studios and they're going to get priority no matter what. But there's a breaking trade, not on the trade deadline. If there's a breaking, a major injury, why can't I turn on NHL? If I turn on NFL Network when that happens, yeah. they're talking about That's it right the then and there. I turn on NHL Network, I'm seeing top 10 goals from the 1999 season. It's a good year. And, yes, I know that's a small thing, but you have to start to actively engage your audience constantly. And maybe as, again, you start talking about the players more, you talk, start talking about situations more. A lot of times it feels like hockey only happens 30 minutes before puck drop and 30 minutes yeah. after puck drop. And yeah. that is it. There's no other hockey at any other period of time. It's a great point. I don't disagree with any of that. But I, I guess my answer would be a little bit different in the sense that I also want it bridged out beyond uh, the NHL network because I want your typical sports fan and, and a lot of the people that I know outside of the world of hockey that, that love sports and I know would love hockey if they were given multiple reasons to do it. And the best example I can give you is I can't tell you how many people have brought up the P.K. Subban 
uh, E60 that was on ESPN over the weekend, which ironically I have DVR'd and haven't watched yet. So many people have either texted me or brought it up to me, and they're like, I watched it because I watched that show, and hockey sort of inhabited a show I watched, and everybody that has watched it loves P.K. Subban now. Mm -hmm. And a lot of them don't even necessarily know for sure what team he's on. They don't know any of his teammates. But now when Nashville's on TV, people are going to be like, oh, there's nothing else on, and and that's Subban. Like, I know his story. I know what he went through growing up. Like, this is cool. I want to see that guy succeed or fail. It doesn't really matter. Like him or hate him, at least you know who he is now. He's a personality, and he's a great personality. Absolutely. That's that's the kind of guy they can latch on to. Your your point, too, with what you were saying earlier, there needs to be much more cross-promotion on NBC proper. I agree with that completely. That's that's where people are going to see it. So have your promos. Do whatever you need to do. But I also think that the NHL Network idea is a great one. That should, that should, you should have a constant flow. Even if you're looping news throughout the day where it plays over and over again, you need to do more of that. Yeah, that should be your one-stop shop for all NHL news and yeah. content, features, etc. Just talk to the people in the same studio in Stokakis, because the MLB Network has changed completely in the last three years, the way that they do their in-studio shows and how quickly yeah. they transition. Uh, it, it just It's something that it, it helps for your hardcore fans. It helps, again, You just it makes it a one-stop shop. And, you know, with, and again, I'm not going to I know the NHL's financial situation. And I understand you always want to go where the most money is. But for even some of these 24-7s that they do, if there's not a massive gap between, let's say, Epics and HBO, yeah. go with HBO. Go with, HBO. Go with, at some point, they might have to consider taking a little less money up front. And again, how much less, I don't know. I'm, I'm not pretending again. But just in theory, what you're but saying makes sense. The thing is, is you need to get as many eyeballs as possible. That E60 on ESPN is going to get more eyeballs than anything they're going to put on NHL Network or NBC Sports. Yeah. It already has. And, and, but that's how it's going to have, going to continue. So when they do these specials, and, and again, I don't know what exactly all their TV deals are, but you know what? It might be worth taking a little less money up front to be on a more prominent channel or network because that's going to help you grow the game long term. You've got a product that people would watch. I mean, that's the thing if, as long as they're invested in it. And I think the, the last two little – not little things, I guess, but obstacles that you have to overcome as the NHL is, one, the sense that, well, we've got our fans. We don't need new fans. We've got plenty of our fans. That's true, but why not still grow it? And then also the sense of you don't have to beat the NFL and be the most popular sport in North America for for marketing to, to mean something. Even if you're still fourth of the four sports, you can really close that gap between fourth and third. There's you no really reason not can. to grow. You can't tell me that this generation of sports fans, whether you want to call them millennials or whatever, if if nobody had watched any sport yet, if if we were introduced to the four sports, you can't tell me hockey would be more wouldn't be more uh, popular than baseball. It's not even close. But baseball's got the history, and everybody knows baseball, and kids grow up playing baseball. I mean, that's a part of it, too. Yeah, I mean, and that is the other challenge of there's a large portion of the United States that doesn't grow up playing ice hockey. And so they're not naturally ingrained to then look for ice hockey. Well, they play football or basketball or baseball or soccer. Or, so, but, but again, there's still room to grow there, and I think there's still room to market your players. You, you have personalities. You don't – obviously, every league has some off-the-field playing surface issues. But the NHLs aren't as pronounced as the NFLs, for example, as no. the big dog. You have a lot. You just have a lot of ability to promote your players, and they just don't do it. And I think they—I don't know what exactly they could do, but they got to get them a little bit more creative. They could use some help too from outside. I mean, we're all talking about them cross-promoting. Some of that falls on ESPN or NBC or whoever. But you just. 
if you got a, a focus group of 16-year-olds together, how many of them are going to want to sit through a five-hour baseball game that's game 37 of 162, and how many of them would be interested in watching P.K. Subban against Chicago or whatever? Yeah, and again, I'm going to bring up another wrestling example. Two-hour game, too. <laughs> I'm going to bring up another wrestling example just because it fits here. Okay. WWE made a deal with ESPN about a year ago. There's no money being exchanged between the two. But as you've maybe seen, if, again, if anybody still watches sports there anymore, that's news to me. But if you do, um, <laughs> they have segments there some, a few times a week where they, have, where they have an anchor that talks about whatever the upcoming show is. And they usually have a wrestler on there to interview. Why do you think the company did that? Because it's free promotion. Mm-hmm. And it, it fills time for ESPN. And it's free promotion for the WWE. Now, maybe that's not something the NHL feels like it needs to do. But sometimes, you know, again, I think there's a long-term vision here to look for. And, again, I know there's TV contracts and NBC get mad if you put your, your players on their network. But, but it helps them too, long-term. But you need to get faces out there. You need to give somebody a reason to care about the players themselves because you feel pretty confident that if they care about the player and then watch the player, they'll be happy with the product that they see. Specifically to Subban then because that's you – know, we all said this before the Stanley Cup even started – Everybody knows who Sidney Crosby is, whether you watch hockey or not. Now, do they know who Phil Kessel or Evgeny Malkin are? They should. Maybe you need to market those guys. But Subban is easier to market than Malkin or Kessel, and that's why it's good Nashville's in the Stanley Cup. And they are marketing him, and it's working. Um, But then you have John Scott commenting on P.K. Subban, and uh, I don't think that hurts the marketability. Yeah, it probably doesn't, actually. But it's a little odd. And people have asked if there's content for this. I don't like him. I think on the ice he's a piece of garbage. That, that was his quote. There really isn't much context to it other than that. That's just John Scott being... I guess I can finally say this. That's yeah, I'm, I'm going to sit back and Scott. sit back and enjoy my coffee. That whole image that you were sold, folks, dear listeners, we hope you're out there, that whole image you were sold on John Scott was a pile of trash. It's not who this guy is. And I will go back to one point to to illustrate this. When John Scott was still playing for the Coyotes, right, he got traded. He, we had the whole All-Star flap. Can he play when he's in the AHL? Blah, 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 blah. When he made the All-Star game, if you go back to that date on Twitter, try and find me one Coyote, one, who congratulated him. You won't be able to. And there's a reason for that. Because he was considered selfish. He was considered an ass in the Coyotes' locker room. And that's the truth that really didn't come out. I feel like I can say this now because John Scott has decided that he can just trash P.K. Subban. That's the truth of what was going down here. They were really pissed off at him that he didn't give up that all-star spot, too, by the way, just one of the players that was deserving. But, you know, he could say, I, you know, I've, I've been in the league all this time. I deserve this shot. But, again, that's selfish. Do you deserve to be there because of some ridiculous fan vote? No, you don't because we're making fun of the NHL's voting system. But he was not a popular teammate here, so don't believe the narrative that was thrown out at the All-Star game, this made-for-Hollywood story. It wasn't who this guy was here, and you're getting just a little glimpse of it now with this quote. Wow. <laughs> I, I knew something was coming. Craig was, Craig was, uh, he was warming up for that, but I can't dispute it. And, and, you know, people that don't live here have to remember, the year John Scott went to the All-Star game, no other Coyotes went. The Coyotes mm-hmm. were... An NHL team that was not represented at the All-Star game, where, by the way, it's mandatory that every team is represented. And I know people will look and they'll say, oh, well, the Coyotes, they're not that good anyway. Okay, but they had players that were deserving. Shane Doan, that year, deserved to go. Yes. Max Domi deserved... I mean, the most frustrating thing for me was watching Dylan Larkin, who was also a rookie at the same time as Max Domi. And, you know, Dylan Larkin's a great player. I got nothing against him. The whole skills competition, 
basically became Dylan Larkin night, and everybody gets introduced to Dylan Larkin. That's great. The Red Wings don't need that. The Coyotes do, and that could have easily been Max Domi and should have been Max Domi. Yeah, it could have been Max. could have been Shane, too. Either, either one of those guys would have been fine. And that's just, that's just a small piece of it here, right? Yeah. Because, you know, maybe those guys, maybe you can say, well, they're selfish for needing to go, too. Maybe they could have just given John his, his spot. But, again, the, the underlying issue here is John Scott was portrayed as something that he was not while he was here in Arizona. That simply wasn't the guy that I covered here, that the players talked about here. And you can go back and say, oh, later on the Coyotes were congratulating him. Here's the, here's the other truth about the NHL. When you ask a player about a former teammate or current teammate on the record, they're just going to take the high road and say the nice thing about him. They're not going to tell you the truth. You'll see it all over this league. Again, it's that team mentality that sometimes hurts them in marketing. You just circle the wagons. You protect your guys. For the most part, that happens. That's not what was being said privately. It is not what was being said. And I'm not throwing anybody under the bus by saying, but I talked to a lot of people about yeah. this. I That's mean, interesting. E- even as far back as training camp, uh, because, I mean, I asked Don Maloney about, you know, John Scott, and there was, there was a bunch of different questions about there, about his leadership, and he basically said, no, he's here to protect, in that case, Domi. Yeah, That's I mean, you, you have to remember the Coyotes are bringing in Domi, but and they were and a bunch of very, young very even. Even back then, they were very careful about saying it's literally to be an enforcer and absolutely nothing else. And they so, never played, so how can you be an enforcer? Yeah, so I mean, they, they throw them in like the game after somebody got yeah. run. Oh, you're playing a different team, so that really doesn't work. Yeah, and it was not a popular signing at the time. Yeah, the so they, they were very the yeah. So the, so this narrative that oh he's coming to be a leader and he's a glue guy, which you like to hear sometimes on, on social media. Uh, they not once yeah. did that were those words ever uttered by anybody yeah. in management or on the ice, even as early as training camp when John Scott Look, was brought I, I don't want to go so far as to say John Scott is an awful human being or anything like that, although some of the things that he did on the ice were conveniently brushed under after after this uh, you know Hollywood moment that he had at but the again, All-Star game. The All-Star game is a game that sports fans watch. The sports fans weren't watching Phil Kessel and John Scott four years ago. It was great marketing for the league, no yeah. doubt. You can't, you can't craft a better moment than that last year, that the All-Star game last year with John Scott. It was fantastic for the league, but it wasn't real. No, it wasn't real at all. It wasn't and, real. and I don't know if it came across that good for the league either, because the way that the story was put, again, third time, it's like a pro wrestling angle. But it got eyeballs. It got eyeballs. It, it, it did. It did, but it got eyeballs on John Scott. Yeah. It didn't get eyeballs on Alex Ovechkin. And he played the part. He really played the part well. I mean, he carried his kids on the ice. All, all that was just, you, you can't script it any better, but it was a script. If I get you tickets to the premiere of his movie, do you want to go? Didn't that get canceled, by the way? Go? Maybe it did. Didn't, that, didn't that get canceled? It, it, it's, it's on and it's off. I mean, it's Hollywood. Come on. It's, it'll get canceled. I did read a one-year retrospective by Helene, Helene Elliott of the LA Times, who great writer. Yes. Someone I respect immensely, but wrote a one-year retrospective on the John Scott moment. Yeah. So I think as of now, we could probably close the book on John Scott entirely because you, he's... Irrelevant. I feel like, and we started this podcast last season, so whatever, 25 episodes into of this, the run of this podcast is when all that was really going down, and I believe yeah. Craig basically told us we're never allowed to mention John Scott for like a year. And I, I, I never wanted to say because, you know... Well, he was just, it was talked about too much. It was talked about too much, and, and fine, you know, I, yeah. I knew what I knew, but, you know, John Scott was, wasn't trashing people publicly like yeah. he is now. Yeah. Now you're going to go here now? Okay. Let's let's just expose you who who you really were while you were here. And I don't understand the context of just bashing PK Subban. I mean, neither do I. I. I know that like 
P.K. Subban, I don't see as a dirty player on the ice. He is somebody that will push the envelope sometimes, but there's a lot of players in the league that will sort of instigate. Oh, and yeah. I know that for whatever reason, there's a lot of the old guard that doesn't like his celebrations or his dancing before a game or whatever. Yeah, that's, that's, that's not what it is. But the guy also Go just, donates. What, just say it. How, how much just money? Just say it. We don't want a flamboyant black man in the NHL, do we? Yeah. Well, it's not everybody that feels that there's way, but some, there are well, no, Of course, there's it's not everybody that feels that way, but there's a, good, there's a good portion of the P.K. Subban haters out there. They don't hate them because, well, he beat my team in the postseason, or they don't hate him because... Well, up until this year, he wasn't beating any team well, in the postseason. <laughs> but, but it, you know, it, it is what it is. I mean, you, you still see that happening. Even in small doses, it's still out there. We see what happens with Wayne Simmons, two of the last four preseasons. Yeah. And he's yeah. a very similar player. Again, a highly skilled player that shows emotion. Wow, how terrible. That Again, going back to our earlier point, I think that's what the league needs. You want that yes. emotion. Absolutely. Look, I'm watching that game last night. You guys know that I'm a Penguins fan. Subban scores that first goal that gets disallowed, and he's celebrating on the ice. It's pretty cool. I mean, I just, I don't know. It just brings energy to the game. Like, I wasn't happy he scored in that context, but... He's into it. He's like, that's what you need. He's the same thing with the NFL. Like, let them celebrate. Yes. It's hard to score. It's sports. Let them have fun. <laughs> yes, it's supposed to be fun. Yes. This is a game. They they hit, they the hit game. a no, rubber. It, it celebrates the game. It celebrates scoring. They hit a rubber puck into a net for a living. Let's calm down. Like, what is this? Is not this stuff's not important. But you don't remember the the fury. This was a while ago, but like, remember Ovechkin scored that one goal and he set his stick on the ice like it was a campfire and warmed his hands over it? That was a celebration. And you would have thought basically he tried to just destroy He tried to lock out the sport, which ironically they did themselves like a year later. Because it goes, again, this is a cultural difference. It happened. I mean, we, we see, saw it a little bit in baseball yesterday. It goes back to this. Well, for whatever reason, I mean, don't in, even get in U.S. Baseball. sports, code. in U.S. sports, or North American sports, let's say, what? North American, U.S., and Canadian sports. Okay. Everything is so serious. This is the most serious thing that's ever happened in the world is this game right now and respecting the game. But that's not the fans. Everywhere else, no, it's the players. Yeah. Everywhere else, they play it because it's fun and they show excitement and enjoyment. Yeah. Watch, watch a baseball game outside of the U.S. Watch how they play anywhere in the world outside of the U.S. And like, oh, wow, they can't play baseball and have fun and be, oh, I hit a home run, I should be happy. Because you can't, apparently can't do that here. It's, it's, if you hit two home runs off I mean, of somebody in the postseason, you, you hit them with a 98-mile-per-hour fastball. Right. Go back to Ian Kinsler's comments, the World Baseball Classic, when they were playing, and, and he was yeah. upset that the – was it the Dominican Republic the yeah. they were playing? Yeah. Oh, oh, I'm, oh they're having fun playing? Yeah. Wow, that's terrible. That's oh, terrible people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that, that – I, I think that's more extreme specifically in baseball if you're talking about the players. But when you're talking about the higher-ups that run the sport, I think it's a huge – like football, as you just said, Craig, basically had to – Suddenly acknowledge that people want to see celebrations okay, last week. Okay, guys can dance. Yeah. yeah, like, again, there, there are some times where things go it's over the line. Footloose. These guys are <laughs> not like a choreographed dance. Gasp! Yeah, like, I, I, just don't, I don't get this argument of, well, you, why are you dancing when you catch a touchdown? It's your job. Okay, they catch fun. a ball for My a living. My job is fun because I'm so damn lucky I get to pl- I, I get to do work that's actually fun. They catch Maybe chances after every nice. podcast. You they catch a yeah, ball yeah, for a living. Video. We should. Yeah. Just for that. Like, they're, they're not negotiating yeah, a peace treaty. They catch a football for a living. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. It's yeah, just PK basic Subban stuff. is one of the best yes. personalities in this game. They should be trumpeting. And I do feel like the NHL has, I mean, in the past, like, you know, he will basically MC the award show in Vegas. 
Like, invariably, the award show is in a casino in Vegas, and when you're trying to get around a casino in Vegas, it takes you, like, 45 minutes to find the actual, like, entry point because you're just wandering around. Especially when you don't have your ID. No clocks, no yes. <laughs> But there's always P.K. Subban in a bright purple that, suit interviewing players. Yeah, yeah, you, you Twilight. said you cannot miss P.K. Subban in Vegas, the <laughs> NHL Awards. Those I used suits him as my great. reference point to find the entrance to the awards. I'm like, okay, he's over there interviewing Sidney Crosby right now, and I know... He's great, too. He's, he's it's great. Not, he's so engaging in interviews. He talks well. He plays well. He's got a good personality, and if you dig deep into his history, he gives a lot of money to charity. That's, That's why I don't know what more you could ask We're for. We're talking like thousands upon thousands upon hundreds of could thousands. Could he just be white? Could well, he just be more boring? I think that's, how, I yeah. think that's the problem with some people. If he could just he could be more boring. boring. Yeah, I, I hope it's not that. I do think it is. I don't think that's the majority of the people don't like him, but I think that's a good enough portion. But that does there's, exist. There's that other element of just don't be flamboyant. That's the other thing, too. I mean, that just was people Vetchkin, don't like that was Neil Yakupov. Don't be a flamboyant athlete. Why not? Remember when Yakupov scored his one NHL goal and he celebrated it by like sliding down the ice like he had just won the cup? And at the time we were like, "This what's?" People were like, "What's this guy's problem?" And now we know his his goals in the NHL were limited, so he had to yeah. celebrate them. But people flipped out over that for weeks because he slid down the ice after scoring a big goal. Yeah, and you, you pick your spots, right? Yes. Don't celebrate like crazy when you score the one goal and the seven one loss. But if you do that, but, the other team is you'll pay yeah. on the ice. But but it should be this, it's the same thing. If you score again, you score a game winning goal. You score a big goal late. I mean, it, yes, you don't do it every time you score a goal if you're down seven. Right. It's just stupid because yeah. you're playing a team sport and if you're losing by six. But it's like a guy that yeah, bat, bat flips on the ice. Goal. Yeah, it's like that a guy that bat flips when they're losing police. by ten. It's just silly. And I but, hope the policing gets penalized then, but it won't probably. No, not in the playoffs. There aren't, except last night. There was a lot of penalties for some reason. Yeah. Memorial Cup. Ugh. Boy, this is like Hi, this Windsor. Is a negative <laughs> podcast. By the way, I want to state that I was a moron on the last one and said that the Q regular season champion gets to the Memorial Cup. That, that's incorrect. Sorry. Momentary lapse of reason. St. John won the playoff. So we have. That's your one apology for the year from Craig, so enjoy yeah. that. And it, it, it prefaces loop. Uh, major criticism, so okay, yeah, that's how I roll. It's like a critical sandwich. We have sandwich. three league champions competing for the Memorial Cup, right? Yes. And then we have Windsor. And then we have a home team. We have the host team. That Which is incredibly stupid, by the way. It's such a I dumb format. They have no place in this tournament. Before we even it. get to that, okay. I, I don't understand it as an athlete, and I, I'm not pretending I was one because I certainly was not. How do you get up for a season when you literally have nothing to play Thank for you. but five games? Thank you. All you have to do know, is the use Warriors. the entire season ask as an Cavaliers. exhibition, then use that huge break that you get after the NA- you're out of the OHL playoffs while everybody else is beating themselves up and just prepare for the Memorial Cup. And oh, by the way, all the games are played in your home arena yeah. in front of your home fans. All the why does this exist? I'll tell you why it exists. It's for attendance. That's why they did it. I don't buy so, that. That's exactly why they did it. This is an accepted fact. I, I, that, that I, I buy that team, that's why they did it. Yes, that's why they did it. Yes. But what happens is, okay, Windsor gets fans for its own games, and then people still don't go to the other game. So what, what is this gaining anybody by letting a team that finished seventh overall in the OHL standing? So this is equivalent of letting, here at Montreal Canadiens, you get a bye to the conference semifinals. Yeah. So you don't have to do anything. Just you're into the conference semifinals. By the way, we'll make the other teams play. You'll be rested. It's what not, the heck is the not thought brilliant. process here? And you're going to go and call yourself the CHL champion? I'm not calling you the CHL champion. I'm calling Erie the CHL champion. This is ridiculous. Well, and I also think that, you know, there's... What are those... The Windsor Stadium, their arena held, what, 6,000? I mean, you're telling me that if you just... 
put it in Toronto or Montreal or Vancouver. Or even if you want to rotate it, even if you did put it in Windsor this year, but Windsor wasn't a part of it. I think I think it skews the attendance, and it's like, hey, here's four teams. One of them's Windsor. We're all going to go to the Windsor game, and then we're not going to go to the other so games. So do you want do you want it in? Actual OHL teams arenas. I feel is that, like is that if, important to you. I, it's not important to me, but I don't think you necessarily have to take that away and then and sacrifice attendance if you don't. Okay. But once you've once you've had a history of putting the home team in it every year, then yeah, the fans are just going to go to that game and not the other. I've, ones. I've got a wild idea. Oh, How boy. about you bid? Have play people bid to host it, and you make up the difference in potential ticket revenue, and you have an actual champion that matters. But you don't allow the team that's no, placed yeah. in that arena to just be in it because no, no, that's, that's the issue. They're the host. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, to do it for dumb. ticket revenue makes no sense. Stats on this: they introduced this in '83. I think '83 is the year. Since that happened, ten host teams have won thirty of the uh, thirty-five tournaments. Now you can look at it and say, "Well, that's only what twenty-eight percent. That's not a huge percentage. That's, that's a quarter. But that's more than a quarter of the time. One of the four four teams was the host team, and then take into account that the host team. Didn't earn its way there. They weren't a good team. They, at no. least they were good enough to make it to this point, and yet they're winning more than a quarter of the championships. That's wrong. And there's only four teams. Yes. So you should but win why a quarter. Do we need four teams? Do we need symmetry? Is that important? Yeah. Just have the three league champions playing around Robin, and then have the top two teams play a best of three series. Done. Or bring in both finalists. Do it however you want. You can have both finalists from each. Yeah, I mean, you can go up to six if you want. Go up to six teams. Sure, go to six. Fine. That'd be cool with me, too. But why is Windsor in the tournament? It would be like college football just automatically putting a team from... Going into the season and saying, this year a Pac-12 team is in no matter what. This year an SEC... I guess they say an SEC team's in every year no matter what. But you get the point. Of the five major conferences, if they just put one in every year... And it's worse in my mind when they win. And Craig, you're right. You get the advantage not only of playing on your home ice, but you had, chances are I had a yeah. few weeks off to, to rest yeah. up and prepare. It's like all the national championships in, in uh, Phoenix this year. So ASU, you you just get just in. in. You, you with the other four the semifinal. <laughs> we're going to make sure you're healthy, rested. The other teams will be beat up. And it just makes the other teams look bad. Not fairly, I don't think. It's not like a team like like a team like Erie is really good, but yeah. it just makes the whole process look bad. Championship game by a goal. To a, to a team, a team that, that had no business being there. Didn't even, I think they but didn't even win a playoff well. series in the OHL, did they? Mm. Windsor has some they, good were players. They were bouncing the first or second round, I don't even remember. I mean, they've got DiPietro, they've got Mikhail Sergachev, they have good players. They didn't earn this. No, they, they are not CHL the champions in my mind. I don't care what the, what the cup says. I don't know where to go from that. We've been pretty fired up all show. Do you want yeah. to talk about the salary cap? It's just mad. Just nonsensical. Are, and are they really gaining that much from it? I don't think they're gaining anything from it, to be honest. I think a lot of it is just simply symmetry, and they're like, well, people will come out for those games. People do like symmetry. I don't necessarily know why, but they do. Well, when you look at their format, it's a round-robin anyway. Yeah. So it's not like, oh, we had brackets, so that's why we need symmetry. It's a round-robin anyway. Yeah. They could do exactly what they did with as many teams. games and do it with three Or six teams. teams. Mm-hmm. Or eight teams. If you want eight teams. If you want brackets, hey, let's do brackets with eight teams. Or how brackets. about just wins or practice? Then you have two wild cards, and that would be insane. It would be like the chaos. Yeah. yeah. Football. I, I don't know where else to go on these notes. They're kind of all over the place. But let's let's roll back to the Stanley Cup for a second okay. here. Because Jamie mentioned this earlier. Uh, if the Penguins win, Evgeny Malkin, at least at this moment, would probably be the Conn Smythe Trophy winner. Not one of the 100 best players ever, though. No. And, I belie- and I'm doing this off the top of my head, but that would be two Conn Smythes. Uh, he's won the scoring title before. He's won the Hart Trophy before. He has a better points-per-game ratio than 
quite a few of the players in the top 100. What's he missing? He well, one, he's not Canadian. Canadian. Okay. Uh, two, he is Russian. So all right, that's that's two knocks okay. against him. Um, three, he's hurt a little bit by the fact that the best player in the world is also on his team. And okay. I think people artificially hold him down. But in my mind, he is the most underrated player of this last decade. We compared these numbers, and, and I can try and pull them up again. I'm sure I have them here in, in the notes somewhere. Uh, when this list came out around the All-Star break, and it, it, was not, it was not meant as a slight on Patrick Kane. I think most people would agree Patrick Kane should be in there. Malkin's numbers are better in every single category. The only thing he didn't have was as many cups as Kane. And it's not like he had none and Kane had three. He had two and Kane had three. Might be even after this year. And, and yeah, Kane is not the guy I'd look at. But there were some old-time players on that list that was like, mm, I don't But don't you agree, if, if, if he clears Kane, it's not like, oh, he's the 99th player in. If he's clearing Kane, he's like the 50th player in. Malkin, Malkin shouldn't be in the top 100. He should be in the top 75 That's already. what I'm saying. He basically like is Patrick Kane. I would take him. I think he's had more impact on the games he's played well, he's slightly more than Patrick Kane. But and either again, way, Patrick Kane's had a hell of an impact too. They're, again, they're you're split hairs when we're talking about elite players like this. The point is, those are guys that, that shouldn't be 99 and 100. They should no. be 55 and 56. And, and usually you worry about recency bias with these types of things. Right. And, and that's, that's, it's funny you bring that up because, yeah, there is this reverence for some old-time players where yeah. you, you look at them, like, you look at the numbers, you look at the impact, and you think... I think it speaks to the overall problem the NHL has in general. It does. That their current players are not at the forefront mm-hmm. of their mind when it comes to the best ever. And if Pittsburgh goes out and loses the next four games and Malkin doesn't win the Conn Smythe, that doesn't change my opinion at all. I mean, this was a stance that we were taking before this. But we, but even before the list came out, we were talking about how much Malkin was underrated. That was brought up to Mike Sullivan at the at Media Day, too. Did you see that when they asked him if, if that's something that motivates him? And he kind of tiptoed around the question a little bit and, and, and rightfully said that's something you have to ask Evgeny Malkin, not me, and that's fair. But it's not like the three of us are the only three talking about it. And I'm sure on some level it is weird for Malkin to look and see, okay, my teammate, Sidney Crosby, is, is in the top 100. Probably my chief rival, I don't know if this is still the same case, but when they first broke into the league, him and Ovechkin did not like each other. I mean, that was the real rivalry. People wanted to make it Crosby versus Ovechkin when Pittsburgh and Washington played. Mm. It was Malkin and Ovechkin. That was a legitimate those two didn't like each other very much. And he sees Ovechkin. And I'm not saying Malkin's better than Ovechkin, but he's accomplished a lot more. And, again, when Crosby's been out, as you've noted a million times, uh, Malkin has elevated his game. This is not somebody that's hi- hiding behind Sidney Crosby and just taking it easy as the second-line center, in quotes. He's, he's elevated his game when he's been the, only, been the top center on the ice. And that's the greatest test because that's, that's the criticism that people would try to make. That okay, he's, he's benefiting from Crosby's presence. What's he done when Crosby's not on the lineup? He's he's excelled. He usually yeah. plays better. At yeah, that point. I mean his 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 on paper numbers are better. Yeah, he just looks, he just he plays a more aggressive game. At some point, he must take it upon himself and say, "Look, we don't have that safety net. It's on me." And you want that, obviously. Yeah, stadium series. Kind of, we've talked a lot of negative here on the show today. So let's get a little positive. Capitals, Maple Leafs from Navy. Annapolis, Maryland, which is, by the way, if you can go to this game, I highly recommend it. If you haven't been to Annapolis, Maryland, it is a really cool city. I have some uh, college exploit days that I won't recount for you. Uh-huh. But it's a, it's a beautiful, well-preserved colonial city right on the, on the Chesapeake Bay. The Naval Academy is gorgeous. This is a place worth visiting. They have amazing crab cakes, by the way. This feels like a commercial for wedding crashers. And, uh, you know, if, if, 
if FanRag Sports wants to pay the way, I think you know a couple writers should probably go and cover that game. I'm just, just saying it out. You know, it, it, on I, I don't location know who had, who the first strings. Do you know? No, I don't, I don't know. Okay. It's obviously not the two of us because we're the ones asking the question. Okay. So. But yeah, go to this game. This is a really cool site. Good game too. I mean, you, you're yeah. not going to have people complain that Canada is not represented, and you're not going to have people complain that a can- Canadian team is forced into it because we already know Toronto's good. We already know they play Washington well, and they're fun to watch. Both, yeah, these two teams together are fun to watch, and you can see Nazem Kadri and Alex Ovechkin go at it again, which is just a nice little bonus for everybody. Yeah, it's one of the few games of the outdoor series, stadium series that I've been actually excited about in recent years because they have so just you consider sending someone. Uh, it's not my call necessarily. <laughs> yeah, me sending me. Oh, oh that's yeah. Awesome. See that backfire. Well done, Craig. I, uh, I, mean, I thought we agreed we were going to talk about this later. Yeah, because we, we've talked about this before. Where I, I get why they do so many of these, but boy, does it lose its luster after a while it when does. there's three or four or five ev- outdoor games every season. But this is a little bit different, and, and I, I just I like what the environment's going to be. Again, another promo- perfect promotional opportunity for the NHL. And a wonderful place to do it with two really good teams, two exciting teams. You have a young team on the rise. You have a, uh, a team that's been dominant in the regular season for a while that's just trying to hang on to their Stanley Cup window if there's one still there. You've got star power. You've got Ovechkin. You've got young star power in Austin Matthews and Mitch Marner. There's just, there's so, this is the game that should be the focal point of the NHL season next year. Is it year. better than the Winter Classic this year? I think so. I do, too. I want this to this game, game should be the focal point. Yeah, I think there's a, a certain element of it, it's cool to see a, a hockey game outdoors, but like you guys both just said, that novelty kind of wears off unless you're at the game. But if you're just watching on TV, we have seen that. And so I think people will tune in for the Winter Classic because that's kind of become appointment viewing, again, for fans that aren't necessarily hockey fans just because of when it is and you'll turn it on or whatever. But I think in terms of getting the most out of an outdoor game, you need a twist on it. And in this case, it's not, hey, these two teams are playing outdoors. It's... They're playing in Annapolis. This is this is something completely I different. I hope they incorporate oh, they will. the Navy's might in this somehow. They absolutely will. Jets or some kind of performance yeah. would be really cool to add to this. Uh, otherwise, why would you put it there if you're not going to play off that? And, again, it's a good matchup, too. And it's not the same matchup. I mean, as much as you like the Blackhawks and I like the Penguins, it just feels like we're always watching the Blackhawks the and the Black Penguins. the Blackhawks would be happy if they didn't have to do these other yeah. games, to be honest. It, it, I think they just get exhausted with all this it, stuff. I mean, who, Pittsburgh, Chicago... Boston, Philadelphia. I just feel like one of them is Winter always Classic, involved. Winter Classic is Sabres Rangers. Is that what it is? Is that what it is? I don't even remember it. Uh, yeah, Sabres Rangers is City Field. Yeah. Right. I'm, so not, I'm not even excited about that. New, New York's barely like counts as New York's team versus the Rangers at the second most prestigious baseball stadium in New York City. Right. <laughs> it's exciting. Jamie should do the marketing for that game. I mean. Why not? Why not the Oilers? Why not McDavid? Why not McDavid versus the Rangers? I guess originally the thought was, hey, we're going to have Eichel against the Rangers, but Buffalo isn't good. I mean, I don't yeah, you a, get putting it in the New York market, but yeah, bring. Why are you bringing the Sabers? The first ever one was in Buffalo, wasn't it? Or was it in Pittsburgh and it was Buffalo Pittsburgh? Either way, that was cool. But come on, it's the Sabers. Sorry, sorry, Sabers. You know, you, you, I mean, you can be in this once in a while, but yeah, don't I bring just, the Sabers to New York City. Yeah. What do, they, yeah, what do they think? What do they think the appeal of Buffalo in New York City is? Like, the, yes, it's technically in the state of New York, unless you live in New York and you don't consider Buffalo anything. They, close they to really, New York. I think New York City folks who live in New York City even think about Buffalo. Well, I don't no. think people in New York City think about anybody in the other well, twenty-nine that's true markets. That's true. So if we're going to go by that, it's going to be Rangers practice. or anywhere else in the U.S. Really, yeah. I mean, well, they probably think about California and maybe Boston. But again, I, I don't get. Kings. I just don't. I, I, that's the one that, to me again. It goes back to the teams thing. I don't get the appeal there. 
I mean, of all the teams you could have put in an outdoor game, now those are the two you're picking, a, a declining Rangers team. Pick, make it and a rivalry Buffalo? game. Buffalo? Make it a rivalry game. I mean, put the Flyers there. Yeah. No, no more flyers. Hate the flyers. No more Flyers. They hate the Flyers. But right? I'm so tired of watching the Flyers. Okay, make it... Make it the Islanders. Make it the Devils. At least make it a city yeah, rivalry. Do, do that so you bring everybody from the city that's a hockey fan yeah, into it. That could be something. Has, has Minnesota had well, a we, you know, we winter classic the future of the Devils or the Islanders? I think... Did they have one? I feel like we were always told Minnesota is going to have one. I'm not sure if I remember. Yeah, I think they did because I remember all the North Stars jerseys being a big deal. But, yeah, point well taken. They're not the two most exciting teams. I just think any time the NHL is going to be on NBC in a format where everybody's watching, you have to have the most exciting players. Austin Matthews and Connor McDavid need to be marketed just like yeah. P.K. Subban. Yep. Yeah, I agree with you. If you're not going to do a New York City rivalry thing, McDavid would have been a great one to bring. Yeah, yeah, Edmonton and I'm trying to think what else. I mean, <sighs> you're trying to keep it Canadian versus American, basically, yeah. if you can. And I. I'd have to think about that, who the best rivalry. I mean, I guess on some level, Edmonton and Anaheim maybe have a bit of a rivalry now based on the playoffs mm-hmm. this year, Edmonton-San Jose. Yeah, I'm just trying to think because this becomes the issue with what you – you know, again, maybe you put – if, again, if I was running things, maybe you put Toronto-Washington as your winter classic yeah. because – Either of those markets make sense for an outdoor game. It's a better game. Where you come up with maybe Edmonton-Tampa Bay uh, at Navy and, and fa- say, okay, we're going to put this on a neutral site. But it's unique. Anyway, the site is cool so let's put it. Yeah, which is a huge selling point to me. Let's put two exciting teams there. Fans in Edmonton watching, I get that doesn't help NHL ratings in the U.S., but U.S. fans seeing Connor McDavid helps down the line. Yes. It, it, just, it just does. Mm-hmm. So... There's that. I have a note that I didn't write that just says salary cap. Well, is it going to be flat? Yeah, that was interesting. Unless unless the PA wants to use the accelerator and bump it up to $77 million, it looks like it's going to be $73 million this year, which is – that's going to put a lot of teams in a tight spot. Hi, Chicago. Yeah, if you don't even get the escalator, that's really tough. And by the way, the local team opens up even more possibilities for the Coyotes Mm -hmm. probably because they have flexibility and – even fewer teams will have flexibility if we have a seventy-three million dollar cap. At what point does it almost stop hurting Chicago because they're going to be so up against the cap that it almost helps them that other teams are going to join them right up against the cap, or does it? I mean, at this point, there's a few teams I don't know how they're going to get under the cap if it just stays. No, at but I mean, million. we start to look at Chicago. Maybe they're not as invincible now as we thought they were. Now, I think we're starting not going up. Oh. But I'm saying we're starting to see. You know, for a while we just oh they'll figure it out. They'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And he did for a long time. But when you don't have any increases, but and at I, some I do point, think that part of their planning initially was okay. The cap's been going up. You know, for projecting, for forecasting, it's been going up an average of this percent every yeah. year. And suddenly it's yeah. And there's a few more years rising. Yeah. And there's a few more years before they lock out again and get the get out of jail free cards. So they can't even use those right now. So thank By you, then, Mr. Yeah, Sunshine. May not matter. That blue line, unless they get out from under Brent Seabrook's contract, I don't. No. I don't see the Blackhawks winning another cup. But the, this, but the, the escrow thing too. This is an interesting kind of putting the NHL's version of putting the ball in the players' court. There, of what was the exact thing that Batman said that if they want, I don't know if it was Batman or Daly, it was uh, Batman. That if they, they want to keep the cap flat, that yeah. they can, they would then lower the, the amount of escrow. Yes. So yeah, yeah. All the negotiating. We're already seeing negotiating for the new CBA. Yeah. That's concerning to me. And by the it's, it's way, close again. the door once again on the Olympics. Do we even care? Do we even want to talk about this? Or we don't? I don't we obviously are going to play the preseason games in China and the regular season games in Sweden. This is Gary Bevan. 
We had, as part of discussions toward the end of the year, we had hoped to develop with the PA a robust calendar, a robust calendar over a nine-year period that would have included two World Cups, possibly two Olympics, and what we've been calling the two Ryder Cups, in addition to a variety of other ventures. I can't imagine why the PA isn't interested in exhausting its players like that. <laughs> but that kind of got derailed because it wasn't something we could get traction on with the Players Association. So it's the Players Association's fault that they're not going to the Olympics. Go ahead. How do we parse this? I, I just, and, and why, why is the IOC not getting any blame at all this because again? It, because do we just forget? Because Bettman's the lightning rod. Yes. And it's, it's very easy to blame him. And he, deser- he, as in the collective owners, deserve a healthy chunk of the blame. He but gets, not all he of gets the blame. paid to get the blame. He, yes. That's just what he yes. does. And but I'm happy to hand take the, the IOC share. Point. They certainly get a, a plateful. Yes. Of they get a healthy portion themselves. But why? Let's not absolve the PA of this. Let's not certainly not absolve the IOC. For, really for anything, because the IOC is like one of the most corrupt yeah. organizations in the hey, world. He's not getting paid to take we, their. Why don't you guys just go ahead and pay for everything? But we're going to make the profits. Is that cool? Yeah, because we're the IOC. That's basically their stance, and now they're just off doing whatever the IOC uh, does. Oh, but it's the Olympics. Come on, it's sacred. You're not going to let people play yeah. in the Olympics. Yeah. The I Olympics, players, the, the place where we come to your town and then ruin its economy for the yes, next 10 years. Exactly. The Olympics. But we all profit. I feel like players are starting to accept it, though. I mean, we saw Lundqvist go to the World Championships and say, I probably won't be allowed to play in the Olympics, so this is my maybe my last real chance to play for my country. And that's a pretty prominent player. I mean, whether Ovechkin accepts it or not, I don't know. I, I'm starting to wonder if we see any of them go to the Olympics. If we do, I think it'll be Ovechkin. I think he's just the only one that'll sidestep it somehow. Well, Gary Bettman, it's his anticipation that nobody will go. Well, then I feel better. Ovechkin defects. For two weeks. And then he's back. <laughs> and he is the type of player that can do that without much consequence. Probably. If you're a third-line center with a bad contract, you're not the one that's going. No. It's yeah. just him, really. I mean, I'm sure there might be one third or two line other guys. With a bad contract and playing for some minor country because the third line center with a bad contract yeah. probably isn't playing for the U.S. or Canada. Or no. <laughs> well, I don't know the way the U.S. constructed their team for the World Cup. That's yeah, how they about started. To say, John Tortorella is right. Well, about to say, yeah, because they still construct Olympic teams like their actual NHL teams, <laughs> which makes no sense considering the pool of talent you have available to you. No, let's you have fourth star You have fourth lines because there are not enough skilled players to have four skill lines. Yep. <laughs> But if you're building the U.S. team, let's let's get gritty and try and just grind out some wins against Canada with Brandon Dubinsky. Block shots, boys. Oh, they're big. All right. Uh, if we don't have anything else, I want to close on this because it kind of ties into the salary cap conversation. And uh, I just wrote about this today. I don't even know if it's up yet. But Connor McDavid, if uh, he can get a new contract starting July 1st. Yes. He's an RFA next year, but he can get a new contract starting July 1st. So especially with Jamie here because he's good with numbers and Craig here because he watches a team that invested a lot of money in a couple players. <laughs> well, oh, what, did, what, what did you end up writing? Because when I was talking to behind the scenes, we're talking to Carolyn about the ideas because uh, it stemmed from a, a piece of Elliot Freeman's 30 Thoughts where he said there were a number of players like Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Stamkos, and others yeah. that would t- took a five-year deal at that point in their contracts because they would be able to get a larger deal at 27, 28, or 29 yeah. versus taking the max eight-year deal. I could see McDavid following that five-year precedent considering, again, yes, you're taking a risk in case you get massively hurt, but if you stay healthy or even yeah, close to this productive, also, who knows what the salary cap's going to look like at that point Yeah, in that, five years down the line. That was something that I definitely consider just for the, the sake of conversation here. I mean, 
just for the ground rules for people that don't follow the NHL salary cap structure on a consistent basis, you can get up to eight years with the deal that he's yeah. coming in on. And basically, what if the salary cap seventy three million, he can make a little over fourteen million a year. It's twenty percent. Would that be the max? Yeah. Yeah. Um, t- t- tough to to do anything. Tough to be a winning team with somebody tying up that much salary or salary yeah. in one player, though. And it's tough to look at that situation without looking at Chicago's. But the thing is, Chicago has two players making ten point five million, and then other players making a lot of money. Edmonton really doesn't have that. No, I mean Drysaddle's going to make a nice little chunk of change. And Drysaddle's an RFA this year, yeah. so they will have to address that for sure. I he won't know. be getting $10 million, but he'll still be getting a good chunk he'll of money. He'll be getting a lot, yeah. I mean, if you're McDavid, yeah, are you... Chicago, they had cups, right? When did, when did Kane and Tate sign their... When did those after, after the second cup? This is the sort of questions that, that we would ask you. I can't remember. It had to be after the second cup yeah. because they won. I mean, they were making, they were making decent so money So there before. you go. You have they championships already to say, hey, I've got this in the bank as well. Which, which I mean... McDavid doesn't have yet. We assume he'll get there, but Edmonton yeah. has some work to do as an organization. And, the, and if you sign contracts like the one that Caves and, uh, Kane and Taves have, it really prevents you from ever making a mistake. Yeah, and that's the thing. Chicago has Stan Bowman. But even, and even he made a couple mistakes. Predict. The Bickle contract. Yeah. And how many Brent years, Seabrook. Seabrook, how many years and how many young players did it, you know, Brandon Sods at the World's Table, Tara Vines at the World's Table, did it cost them to get out of those mistakes? Sod. Brian Bickle cost them Brandon Sod, who will look really good on Jonathan Taves left wing. I mean, so yeah, I mean, help. you can't. That's the thing. If you, you just have no, that your safety net goes whew, yep. when and you sign those big deals. This is where so I asked money. Jamie the obligatory question: Do you trust Peter Chiarelli to be able to navigate huh. a salary cap like that? I wonder. <laughs> no, I don't. He might win GM of the year this year, though. That's, that that's wonderful for, take, for, for taking he it for the as, as Craig says for the Andrew Luck Pitt Manny pick. Congratulations for making the move that literally anybody with half a brain would have made, taking Connor McDavid number one. I'm not sure everybody with half a brain would have traded Taylor Hall for Adam Larson. Nope. Or Tyler Sagan for nothing. Well, you can't hold that against him this year. <laughs> no. <laughs> not in this context. But it's on the resume. It's a whole yeah. point on the resume. Yeah. So, I mean, if you're Connor McDavid, are you that set on I have to get $14 million a year well, for however many years I and, sign for? And that's where it gets to the interesting argument of do you – does – Again, I never fault the player for getting as much money no, as they can. It's not his very job to run the team. F- yeah, it's not, one, it's not his job. Two, you have a finite amount of time as an athlete to make your money. I never will hold that against them. But there's the other side of how much does he think, if I take a little bit of a discount, that gives more money for me to get better players, which increases my odds of winning a championship. You would hope a guy who's team-oriented would think like that yes. as well. So when you say you don't blame a player for taking his, getting his, making his money, how much do you do? You really need the fourteen million, or do you care more about winning championships? Yeah. But as we talk, that says something it, to me it about does. a player. It really does. It does, and we've talked about this a little bit, a little bit different style topic with with Taves. Of I have no problem with you signing that contract, but you better live up to that ten million dollar price tag. And, and it's harder for you to and do he it. Hasn't. And he hasn't, and it hurts the team because they've had to let all of his potential line mates go. So, but and that's something you have to look at. You say, okay, if it, that's what they're doing, punishing Taves. It, hey, you're not playing up so. Here's your left wing this year. Yeah. What a punishment. This? Here's ten and a half. Here's, here's our second line left, or second line winger from the AHL. that's come from Rockford. It's coming up to. Yeah. But you know, so if if you're McDavid, you have to look at it and say, okay, what is my eventual? What is my end game here? Do I, could I have the potential to make as much money as humanly possible right now and risk not having as good of teammates down the line, or do I take a little less and hope that the team spends that money wisely to put better players around me? Maybe if I win more championships, I get more sponsorship deals. I get more things on the outside. Maybe I make make up that money or more in the end anyway. Maybe my leg my legacy 
off being a multi-time possible Stanley Cup winner with better players around me is worth more than the extra $2 million a year. Yep. And it's that's something that you have to balance as somebody that's going to be carrying a franchise for the next dozen years. That's, that's where I I'm think you balance term versus actual amount of money. But here, the, introduce the agent into the mix. Oh. The agent isn't thinking about that at all. No, no it's, it's a 6% or whatever, 3% exactly. or whatever. But, so, you know, when you say that you don't fault a player, and I'm with you, I don't fault a player for making as much money as he can, but when you take as much money as you can, you do open yourself to criticism when the team's not winning two years down the line. Yep. Whether whether it's, well, you took all the money, or whether it's simply, Connor McDavid can't get it done. He can't win a cup. You, you, and then you look deeper, and you're like, he doesn't have any teammates. But And that's where it comes back. You have to be accountable. And again, Sidney Crosby could make as much money as he wanted. But they he wouldn't have Phil Kessel, and he'd still have one. But problem. he took less. Now, he, nobody's feeling bad for the $8.7 million he's no. earning. He's, he's, he's eating well. Yeah, he's fine. But it, it just it's something that goes in that conversation where, again, I'm not going to hold it against the player for saying I want the most money, but then you have to perform and understand what you're giving up and understand that if people turn on you because the team isn't as good, that's the decision you made when you signed that contract. And it's going to be harder for you to perform. I mean, Taves, Taves and Crosby are two perfect examples because Taves is specifically, like Craig said, almost being punished because they can't find him a consistent linemate. And if they do, they tend to have to let him go because he's making money. Whereas Crosby's, you can't guarantee that Crosby taking less money or anybody taking less money is going to win them a cup. But with Pittsburgh, they would not have been able to take on Phil Kessel. No. And they wouldn't have won the cup without Phil Kessel last year. No, and, and they don't have, the NHL doesn't have the luxury that the NFL has of just make, completely making up salary cap money. No. Uh, oh, okay, well, we can accelerate his bonus and push the cap down the line, and he can restructure Tom Brady can restructure his deal every two years and free up cap space. You don't, you don't have that luxury in the NHL. You have to make that decision when you sign the contract. And it's not the NBA where you can just blow right past the salary cap and just pay more money in luxury tax. So the salary cap yeah. doesn't matter at all. So, I mean, it, it is a very, again, because even the NFL, it doesn't, they don't have one. <laughs> it doesn't go <laughs> away, but they can make it go away for a while. We've watched in the local team, Fritz Gerald restructure his contract. Yeah. I mean, so it does, the money doesn't really go away, but they can make it go away for a little bit of time. Why do you think the NHL doesn't do that? I don't know. Well, then they don't rake in nearly as much money as the NFL. Pro- probably I, I kind of like, I, I, I kind of like the way the NHL does it. Like, like not, if, Taves no wanted to restru- if Taves wanted to restructure his contract right now, hypothetically, there's nothing he can do. Mm-mm. Yeah, I guess I, I wouldn't have a problem with them allowing that, but when you, when you compare it to the NBA or Major League Baseball, I like the way the NHL has it so much more. We wouldn't have the problems in the NBA that we have if the NBA had a hard salary cap. We just oh, oh, you're talking from that perspective. I just, I, yeah, sure. I like having a salary cap. But why not allow players? If, if, if Jonathan Taves gets to this point and he says, you know what, I am making too much money. I'm willing to sacrifice some of my salary. If the team comes to me, I'm willing to do it. Why do, if both parties can say yeah. Why don't you let him read? Yeah, I agree with that. Because and that's the thing. This is maybe two years ago. He says, "You know what? I'll take a million dollars less a year, so I can have Brandon side for the next seven years, next to me." Yeah, but he can't. Even if he wanted to do that, he can't. That is weird. You now you have to take all this money. It's it, a weird. It, rule. it does protect some against public backlash for saying, "Well, he could restructure his deal, but he's choosing not to." But other than that, it doesn't really have any benefit to really anybody. Nope. I'm saying, nope. This is your deal. If you're McDavid, this Nobody is write about that. sort of the conclusion I came to. Oh, look at that. If only there was an outlet. Don't, don't steal Craig's narrative. That's the one thing we've learned on this okay. show. Uh, not this specific show, but just in general. If you're McDavid. Um, just, just do what I have. Well, I mean, that's an exact quote from you, actually. You said oh, it was going to be the name of your book. Yeah, yes, you did. It is the name of my book. Uh, if you're McDavid. And you just stole it, by the way. I did? No, I'm just running with it. I'm just, I'm just making it better. We're just repurposing it. I, I like to think of this studio as a think tank, to be honest. Uh, if you're McDavid and you're taking the full $14 million, at that point I think you take a shorter deal. 
Because once for that very reason you guys just gave, if you lock in for 14 times 8, there's a good chance your team isn't as good as it should be for eight years. Yeah, and I just uh, – I have a hard time believing – I mean, again, you have to sign him to because they can be not going to look They'll have to do whatever he says. That's but, exactly right. But, so we'll find out we'll see. what he's thinking, yeah. and we'll find out we'll about see. him as a result. And I think you've you got to look at – again, look at what's happened in Chicago and look what happened to other places and look say – Chicago, they won three cups. It's, it's awful. <laughs> but they have won nice. two of them already. <laughs> they did get it on the yeah. so. And say, hey, this, this is the Three risk. cups in the salary cap era. This is the risk you're taking. And Chicago's sporting cast a little bit better than Edmonton's is right now. You think? Just a little bit. Maybe Edmonton needs Brent Seabrook. Yeah, the, they, then they, they can't pay McDavid at all. Connor, do you want to be playing with Pat Maroon for the rest of your life? Then he'll be taking a two-year deal. That's what you have to say. Brent Seabrook. Connor, do you want us to trade you to New Jersey for Ben Lovejoy? Because we need defensive help. These are decisions you have to make. Former Penguins great Ben Lovejoy. Hey, he was he played for a little bit. Yeah, everybody who's even been close to a defenseman for the Penguins has played. But you just like he did. He was like their sixth defenseman. He won a cup there. Bland of verb as you could have chosen. Well, the Penguins play like twelve defensemen a year. So he put skates on and went around the ice. He was fine. I just he didn't play on the top pairing there like he does in New Jersey. So it's just a little bit different. All right, we got anything else here? I had a brilliant point, but I lost it. No. I've been yeah, trying to get it for an hour and a half, and I can't find it. No. We're running out of time. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. We'll Let's see. How deep will we be into the Stanley Cup by the time we do the next episode? Five games, probably, probably four yeah. or five games. But game two is Wednesday. Game three is Saturday. They, have, game they four space is it out much more at, toward the end of the yeah. series. Yeah. Which is good. Why, why they can't do that through the rest of the playoffs, I don't know. Anything that happened last night changed what you thought coming into the series? Or is it just one game? Um, one I'm... Game. A little more, slightly more concerned about Pecorino than I was going in, but it's it's one game. He has traditionally struggled against Pittsburgh, but I mean, how much does what he did three years ago matter right now? I think Pecorino is going to struggle when he faces quality shots. I I I think he's an overrated goaltender. There, he said it. What's uh, this is my last question for you? Nashville hasn't trailed in any series at any point in these playoffs. Does it matter at all that they're doing it for the first time in the Stanley Cup, or do you think that's going to affect them at all? I think it matters. Okay. I think it matters specifically because it's Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah, trailing. that's that's the thing. That's, it's, this is a team that knows how to win, and you're, you're you're behind the eight ball against the champion, and you've never been here before. You don't know what to draw on. Yes, I think it matters. We can we can look at that game. You can look at the way that game played out and say Nashville should have won the game. They didn't. They didn't win the game. They gotta win. No matter what happens, they have to win four of the next six. Yep. Doesn't matter how well they played. And they're playing without Ryan Johansson, by the way. Again, keep saying that. That's important. It, it, it's very important. massively important. Yeah. All right. I won't argue any of that. I still think Nashville's in a good spot, but it's too Well, sometimes we've, it's we've almost been down this road before. it's almost better to if they had if they had just if Nashville just lost game one three to one after they fell behind and shots on goal were 26 23 or something and they just got beat as opposed to again it's almost like you have to outplay pittsburgh five out of seven times now did you have the penguins losing in the first round to columbus maybe you i did okay. i think just i did asking. yes i did but sort of jane keep this going for one moment while i look something up okay. oh boy <laughs> i know I, I did i i underestimated maybe i didn't underestimate but i guess i underestimated the result of crystal tang not playing i underestimated again playoff experience and overestimated Chris Letang's impact of not playing. And I guess they overestimated Columbus, too, to be honest. Yeah, I, I just thought that, just again, the way Pittsburgh was coming in all beat up and not having Letang, and that's a mark, uh, that's a right. <laughs> that's a very different team when Chris Letang is on the ice. In getting, fairness, getting massively outshot, too, you would think that you would be able to, to beat a team. Especially like, Washington. Like, like the Penguins were against Columbus as well. Oh, 51-32 in shots. Look at, oh, and the Penguins won the game 5-2. 
Well, it helps to have goaltending. It does. It helps to have Crosby and Malkin. Apparently, Jake Gensel as well. He has 10 playoff goals in 20 games. Yeah, as much as I liked Gensel coming into the playoffs, I didn't foresee him leading the NHL in goals, especially after taking an entire series off against Ottawa and somehow (laughs) still leading the NHL in goals. Very strange. Okay, before we go, last week's show, we should at least acknowledge, was a little bit different than our typical shows. Um, Kind of a serious topic in the second half of the show. We had, not kind of a serious, a very serious topic. We had Sid Ziegler, uh, the co-founder of Out Sports, on, and so... We at least wanted to acknowledge that's a very different show. I mean, I know that Jamie put it in the, the, the link to the show and everything, so you knew it was going to be a little bit different. But you never know how something like that, an interview like that, is going to be received. And, Craig, uh, you, it was sent to you, but, I mean, it was it was for all of us. Mm-hmm. A, a pretty cool email, I thought, just kind of encapsulating it, at least one listener enjoying the fact that we kind of went down a different path there. Yeah, and we were talking about the Ryan Getzloff slur uttered on the ice toward a referee and... I guess the reaction to it, all, all sorts of reaction to it, the wide gamut of reactions, whether it was, in fact, a homophobic slur or if people are too sensitive. You probably heard our opinions if you listened to last week's. But anyway, we got a letter. I got a letter from uh, James Abenauer, who I know is a Coyotes fan. Follow, you can follow him on Twitter. Um, his Twitter handle is a bit complex, so I'm recommending you search for JJ James Appenauer instead, A-P-P-E-N-A-U-E-R. Here's what he wrote. And I want to thank James for this. I think we all do because it's it's nice to get this sort of feedback. It's a thoughtful email too. It wasn't just like, hey, I liked it or hey, I didn't. I mean, we'll take that too. We we're definitely the sort of people that need that sort of reinforcement. Yeah, we're, we're all very insecure. Yeah, so. yeah, and we do a type of episode like that. I, I think our, all of our natural fears that we're going to get stick to hockey or I don't want to listen to this or you know we, we produce a show every week. And we talk a lot about hockey and every once in a while. I mean, this we're going to dabble. I mean, hell, I made. Four pro wrestling references on this this, this latest episode. So every like once in a, right so every once in a while, but it, it's good to kind of dabble in in a topic that goes deeper than just the sur- surface level hockey play. Yeah, and, sometimes and, it's highbrow on like pro wrestling. Yeah. yeah, I mean, yeah. Well, sometimes it's highbrow, and sometimes I'm on the show. Yeah, like, you know what happens? Typically, you are still on the show for some reason. But it's it's there was that period where you was yeah. missing. Oh, I was geez. running off from my Alabama stories. wife or whatever. Oh, or whatever. You've come clean. But, but either way, I mean, this is it's, it's good to hear from the listeners regardless of what the topic is. And it's not like we're going to typically have this uber serious podcast. What, this was the 87th episode, and 86 of them have not been serious basically at all. But it's still good to get feedback one way or the other. Wow. Let's be honest. I, I like that. I just, 86 well, of back I feel to so good about myself. Four anymore. pro wrestling references on this one alone. Exactly. So 86 of these episodes have, we have to, been a We have to balance out these real world issues. <laughs> With complete and utter nonsense. I think we did that this week. We bounced back to complete and utter nonsense. Okay. Okay. We've got another 86 of those in a row. Hell of an intro. All right, here we go. So, Craig, take a look. Here's James. As a regular listener of the Natural Hat Trick podcast, I just really want to commend you and the entire team for what you did on the program this week. Although I am not a member of the LBGT community myself, I do consider myself an ally of anyone underprivileged. Honestly, I hadn't really considered the ramifications of calling someone by that name, the slur that you no doubt heard from Ryan Gesselov by now. I will admit that I have used that language before, and thanks to you, Jamie and Luke, I will be taking all of those slurs out of my vocabulary moving forward. I hope you're not getting too much hate mail, if any, because of it. I really found it to be a very productive lesson for me, and I felt compelled to share. 
So once again, thanks, James, for a very thoughtful response. We do encourage those sorts of that sort of feedback on our show. Absolutely. And again, if, if it's hate mail, again, Luke Lipinski is the one you send that to. But for nice things, send them to Greg and I. I'm just going to no, forward them to you, too, if it's hate mail. No, but I, that, was, that was a great response because, uh, you know, we talked about this a little before you read that. You always, when you dabble away from what the, the, the box that you usually put in or the box of the, show, of the show that you do, a lot of times there's negative feedback. And I don't recall getting any negative feedback of any sort on social media or in anything that was sent to us so that was that was we very important everybody in the world on twitter that's true but yeah what are you up to a thousand yeah a more but, uh, but no i was very very encouraged by that uh that, that was a very thoughtful message and i've also since having that conversation i've kind of reflected on some of the things that sid talked about as well and uh you know he talked about a word that he used in his vocabulary uh, that he said, I, I didn't think of it as something to be concerned with, but I understood that women, when they heard it, thought that word meant something different to them, and it affected them differently, and he's no longer using that word. And I've you know, kind of thought about other you know, language that I've used or we've used joking around and thinking, you know what, what is there a, another meaning that somebody that's not me, does it mean something different to them? And it, it might be a throwaway word for me or you or somebody else, but it's not a throwaway word for somebody else. And, you know, I think that was just a very productive conversation in general and spurred on by something that happened in the world of hockey. Yeah, look, I mean, it, it, was, it was topical because of what happened, so it wasn't like we just decided to randomly talk about this. Um, and like I said, 99% of the time we do the show for the fun of doing it, but with everything that was going on, Craig was the one that originally had the idea, and, and it was educational for me. I mean, honestly, I mean, there was stuff that Sid said that, you know, the three of us aren't in that community, and... I, I just he brought a very different viewpoint and that's always good to get different viewpoints that's to, to all admit I can that say. he wasn't in that place earlier three of my favorite human virtues are three virtues that are in very short supply humility admitting that you may have been wrong on something just being able to do that empathy which is how you are able to put yourself in someone else's shoes and realize that okay simply because it wasn't offensive to me that doesn't mean it's not offensive to other people right and just simply being open minded you like those three things? I do like those three you things. You should I don't not think go nearly enough of it going on. Right don't now. go online ever. Ever. Don't yeah. read comments. To, whether it's your story or not, just stay offline. People were just revert back to, here's how I feel about it. You're all ridiculous. That's the nice way that they it's put it. Just sad. Yeah. Just sad. So it's good to get I, that feedback. I lose respect for people who react in that way. I really do. Yeah, again, it was, it was great getting that feedback. And, and, and I think it was, again, it's a different type of episode, not something you're going to see a ton. But, you know, when those things come up, and if you've listened to us for even part, part of our 87 episodes, you know, we do dabble into, when it's appropriate, world issues because sports are a microcosm a lot of times of what's going on in the real world. I mean, yeah, this episode, we will not just stick to sports. Yeah, this episode we talked about the, the racial implications of why P.K. Subban maybe isn't considered by many to be the star that he actually is. And, you know, again, these are all of our opinions and our observations based on, you know, we, on facts that we can see and things that we've heard. But we're going to dabble into that, that kind of stuff. And, you know, we know not everybody's going to agree with us all the time, but we hope that, you know, just like uh, – just like James, that you look at it and say, hey, you know what? I at least understand where they're coming from with that point. Yes. Let's have a dialogue. Let's not shout at each other. Let's be open-minded about other yeah. perspectives. All right. That's going to do it for us. For Jamie Eisner, for Craig Morgan, and Luke Pinsky. thanks for listening to the Natural Hattrick Podcast.